In 2016, Microsoft pulled the plug on Tay, short for Thinking About You, a chatbot designed to mimic the language patterns of a 19-year-old American girl to learn how to interact with human users on Twitter. According to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, Tay was an important influence on how Microsoft is approaching AI and has taught the company the importance of taking accountability. It can be argued that as we come on to depend on data and on technology to make decisions, we also need to consider the implications such dependence have on the outcomes. With us today is Brandon Purcell, VP Principal Analyst with Forrester. Brandon, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you so much for having me. Now, one of the attributes of machines is that they are supposedly unbiased, executing based on a predefined set of rules. And yet, studies from the World Economic Forum and, and commentaries from the Harvard Business Review suggest AI is biased. Where does the fault, if any, lie? Is it on the code? It's a really good question. And I think one of the dangers is that we as human beings do believe that machines are supposed to be objective. And as you said, we've seen with artificial intelligence that that's not true. There are a couple of reasons that bias impacts machine learning. There are two different categories of bias that machine learning can inherit from the data that it's learning from. One is called algorithmic bias. Now, algorithmic bias is actually a bit of a misnomer because algorithms, machine learning algorithms like neural networks and other algorithms actually aren't biased at all. Their job is to find useful patterns and anomalies in data. The bias lies in the data itself. And with algorithmic bias, the data that you're using to teach the machine to do its job is not representative of the entire population. So if you think about facial recognition, for example, there have been many different problems with facial recognition because most of the training sets, at least here in the U.S., that are used to train facial recognition technologies have pictures of predominantly white people. And so those algorithms are optimized to identify white faces, but when they're presented with darker skinned individuals, their accuracy rate plummets. And this happens in speech recognition, and this happens with structured data, with, with regular row and column data, when you don't have enough of a certain group of people represented in it. So that's one type of bias. So the solution there arguably is to go get more data on that group of people so that the machine learns how to recognize them or how to make decisions on them. There's another type of bias, though, that's a bit different, and I'd say even harder to solve for, which is human bias. We as human beings haven't treated each other very fairly in the past. All of that inequity is actually now codified in data, data that we're using to train these systems to make decisions. And machine learning algorithms are supposed to pick up on disparities in the way that we make decisions about groups. And so they'll identify and exploit these disparities and potentially perpetuate them in this vicious cycle. And we've seen this, for instance, here in the United States, there are algorithms that are used to determine the likelihood that a criminal will reoffend recidivism. The justice system uses these algorithms to sentence individuals and to set bail for individuals. Now, the justice system has, the data shows, treated white or Caucasian people and black people very differently in the past. And those differences are in the training data that was used to train these systems. And so these systems give white people a much lower risk score than black people. In the words of a data scientist, the false positive rate for black people is much higher. The false negative rate for white people is much lower. And that has serious implications for people's freedom. So if you say, well, a machine's making the decisions, it's objective, well, then you're just going to perpetuate that in that vicious cycle I, I mentioned before. 
Uh, would you consider these concerns around AI bias as having a significant on impact on how AI itself is being adopted in commercial environments such as banks or retail? So I honestly wish it were having a little bit more of an impact on the way it's been adopted. Certainly, the, the good news is that the data scientists, for the most part, that I talk to, the people who are creating these systems, they are aware that AI bias is real. And the last thing that most of them want to do is create bias that harms a group of people. And so they are very much thinking about this. But at the same time, I've spoken to many companies who want to adopt AI because AI is the new hot, shiny object. If you can use AI, you can start to optimize decisions at scale in a way like you never have before. And in their rush for AI, many companies are overlooking some of these potential pitfalls. And I think that's a real problem. We keep hearing, it seems like almost every month, there's a new case of, you mentioned Microsoft Tay, that was a few years back. And then, you know, recently there's been, Optum Health is a more recent example of bias where they created a machine learning algorithm to predict which patients were likely to need more care, who was likely to get sicker. But because they didn't have in their data set a variable that said somebody's level of sickness, they used a proxy for it. And that proxy was how much money was spent to care for people. But because historically more money has been spent caring for white patients than black patients, the machine learning algorithm picked up on that, exploited it, and created this discriminatory system. These stories keep happening. And they keep happening because people think, okay, this is great. We can use AI to scale decisions, to make decisions more objectively, but they're not thinking about the potential implications. And one of the one of the main issues that I found in my research is that the folks who are conceiving of the AI use cases and then the developers who are actually creating the systems typically all come from similar educational backgrounds. They may all look the same. Most of them are male. And when you have a number of people in the room who are all the same, there are going to be significant blind spots, blind spots on how this system could eventually impact vulnerable populations. And so one of the best practices that's emerging is that companies like financial services and also in healthcare, where there's a critical impact to the decision of AI, are actually starting to talk to impacted stakeholders up front and say, okay, let's say we built this system. How could it negatively impact you? What do we need to look out for? What kind of guardrails can we put in to make sure that it's not harming you? Uh, what should leadership ask of their data science teams or AI research teams to mitigate against the risks that may come from this perceived AI bias? I really think ethical AI, responsible AI, it needs to be a top-down initiative. And the kind of nice thing that we've seen in this space over the last couple of years is that many companies and even governments and non-governmental organizations have adopted ethical AI principles. You know, things like trust and transparency and fairness and accountability. And that's great. Those types of corporate values around AI really do need to come from the top. The problem that even those companies who've, who've created those ethical frameworks are running into is the fact that transforming those principles into everyday practice is very challenging. And so there needs to be this layer of accountability below the top, top level of leadership that's actually saying, okay, what does fairness mean to us? What does that mean? Does that mean equitable distribution of, of a positive outcome? Does that mean that the, the algorithm is equally accurate for different groups of people? These are the types of things that companies are really grappling with today because the concepts of fairness and, and explainability or transparency can mean many different things to a data scientist who's creating one of these systems. And they, they can't be just defining those policies themselves. They need somebody above them to define them on a use case by use case basis. 
in in your view, how far away are we from achieving, can I say, ethical bias in the use of AI? We're pretty darn far from it. <laughs> and look, in some ways, it's not achievable. I remember when I first did started researching this area, it was, it was five, five years ago about, and I spoke to Shannon Valor, who is a, a professor. She was at the University of Santa Clara at the time. Now she's in Edinburgh and in Scotland. And she said to me, bias is precisely what we want these systems to have. We just want them to have the right type of bias. And that's true. The beauty of machine learning is that it's great at identifying differences between groups of people and exploiting those differences. And sometimes that's very, very useful. For instance, since if you and I are interested in very different types of Netflix content, Netflix uses machine learning to identify that and to recommend to us very different things that are tailored to our consumption patterns and our needs. And that arguably creates a much better customer experience for both of us. But that's a very different type of decision than deciding on somebody's freedom, like I mentioned before, you know, diagnosing somebody or deciding whether or not to extend somebody credit. And they're having a, a bias that impacts protected class of people can have really, really awful consequences. And so AI is always going to have bias, but we need to have very frank discussions today as a society and then inside of companies as well about what type of bias is it okay to have? What's a helpful type of bias and what's a harmful bias that we want to mitigate? Now, you contributed to the Forrester Report, How to Measure AI Fairness. What was the conclusion of the report or the recommendations that the, uh, Forrester has to give? There are kind of two sets of recommendations. The, the reason that I wanted to write the report is because, as I mentioned, creating fair AI is really in the AI of the beholder. There are over 20 different mathematical representations of fairness from an AI perspective. And measuring fairness, really, there's two different groups or classes of ways to measure fairness. One way is focused mostly on equality, which is really equalizing the accuracy. So saying, okay, we want to make sure that the accuracy rate is equal for males and females. So the AI system is treating women the same as men, and therefore we're going to say it's fair. That's quite different from the other way of measuring fairness, which is more focused on equity of outcome. So instead of how the machine learning is actually treating, I'm looking at the outcome so if that algorithm is being used to hire people and we have 50% male candidates and 50% female candidates, well, we want to hire 50% male and 50% female people for the role. These are two very different ways of, and could lead to two very different outcomes. In the first scenario, you might end up hiring more males because for one reason or another, the algorithm gives them higher scores, even though you, you think the accuracy is the same. The other school of thought says, well, we know there are historical biases in that data and we, we don't want to continue to perpetuate them. So we're going to put some guardrails around this system and ensure that equitable outcome of 50-50. So that was the first thing I wanted to unpack and give companies a sense of what these different ethical AI metrics are. But then what I found was, was really interesting is that the best practice here is to actually measure various different metrics, some that are focused on equality of treatment, some that are focused on equity of outcome, and look across 
across various groups in your data, males, females, different races, males of different races, females of different races. Accounting for intersectionality was a big part of this because you can lose some of that bias if you're looking at large groups as opposed to subgroups. And see where are people impacted? Where are the biggest disparities? Those are the areas where you really have to start to ask some questions and say, okay, are we okay with this disparity or do we need to go back to the drawing board, rebuild this algorithm, find new data? And that goes back to process. So a large part of the research focused on the different metrics around fairness, but there's also the, the parts of the AI lifecycle that have nothing to do with measuring the results of the model. Stuff like selecting your data, is the data representative? Looking at the labels within the data, you know, it's pretty clear today that the old kind of gender norms of there being male and female are no longer relevant. It seems that there's a spectrum, but most data sets don't account for nine non-binary people. Gender is literally a binary variable male or female in most data sets. So if you use that data to train an AI system, it's not going to do well at all when confronted with non-binary individuals. So it's really important what we label things within the data. And then one of the other big findings is what I mentioned before, which is to talk to stakeholders up front and figure out where are their potential vulnerabilities in the use of AI here. And finally, one of the things we saw for the first time this last year was Twitter was the first company to launch a bias bounty, where it actually crowdsourced the identity identification of bias. And it asked its users, hey, if you find bias, we're going to set aside some money and we are going to award that money. It ended up being $3,500, so not a very big investment for them, but award that money to the person who identifies the biggest instance of bias. And in that case, it ended up being bias that caused its photo cropping algorithm to prioritize younger, lighter skinned individuals over darker, older individuals. And so Twitter went and corrected that, but they also got hundreds of submissions of potential bias to go chase down. So very small investment to crowdsource this and hopefully make their systems less biased in the future. So I'm hoping that more companies do what Twitter does. And we actually have a prediction in our predictions report around AI this year saying that we, we believe that about a dozen companies will do so this year. Is solving this issue of a bias or unbiased AI, wherever the direction the organization organization goes to. Is it going to be an expensive exercise for any organization to create this, uh, can we say, unbiased AI or an AI that really applies to their business model? Not as, as, as expensive as it will be if they get it wrong, you know, and I don't think it's that expensive. You know, you put these, these policies in place and once they're, you know, they're adhered to on a regular basis, it doesn't end up being that expensive. And even the bias bounty thing I just mentioned, I mean, $3,500 is nothing to Twitter, obviously. Here's the potential cost. I mean, if you're in a regulated industry like financial services and you're using AI and it's found that your AI lending algorithm has a disparate impact on minorities, well, you could be fined a lot, a lot of money. If your AI is running afoul of GDPR, I mean, that could be 4% of your global turnover. So these are real, real consequences. Those are the um, the sticks, you know, the carrot and the stick. Those are the, the kind of the punitive side of things. There's also a real carrot here, a real opportunity, which is that by using AI more ethically, you have the opportunity to potentially extend your products and services to people and groups of people that you haven't in the past. 
and potentially grow your total addressable market. I've spoken to a number of banks who are thinking, okay, we want to rewire our credit models and we want to use AI to find people who are credit worthy, who are old credit models deemed not credit worthy. And so they're going to see a real impact on their top line from that. And that's what I'm really excited about. So now we're extending more goods and services to the people who need it. And that I think is a great use case for ethical AI. So it's not all about CYA or covering your butt. It's also potentially really having a positive impact on your company and your community. Brandon, thank you for joining me on Podcasts for Future CIO. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. That was Brandon Purcell, VP, Principal Analyst for Forrester on the topic of best practices to ensure AI fairness. You are listening in the podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now. (music) 